I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Hi, everybody. I love the questions that Gigi and Storm and the Amplify programming team came up with to introduce this panel. What can we intentionally build within and between our communities? And where are we going? And how will we get there? And I can't think of a better and more experienced and smarter and more insightful group of panelists than the ones that we have today. I will introduce them very briefly before they make their opening remarks. We are going to jump right into it, if that's okay with you. Michelle McKenzie is director of the Urban Inclusion Community and is in partnership with Sound Diplomacy. Michelle and Urban Inclusion are focused on building music communities in Lagos and Accra primarily and joins us today from London. Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you doing? Michelle, can you tell us a, a bit more about uh, what you do now and share, please, also your, your current perspective on where we are now in mid-2021? Well, you gave us a fine introduction. Urban Inclusion Community, we're a social enterprise originally based in the UK, started in the UK in 2006. And since 2012, we have been, we've had an office, had an office, sorry, in um, Accra, working in Accra and Lagos. Um, as you said, we're currently engaged in a project building music resilience packages for West Africa, specifically Lagos and Accra. And we're doing that in partnership with Sound Diplomacy. Yeah, challenging times. I think we all know just how challenging these times are. I think the scenario for West Africa is one where there's a realization, I think, about uh, around how fragile the industry is in, in, in many respects. And what is really required currently is a revision, a review and investment in the music industry to breathe life, not only in the ecosystem, but also in all those in other complementary industries as well. I think one of the key things, one of the key learning curves that Accra and Lagos has been going through is really understanding how fragile the industry is, but how much can be done to actually make it more resilient. And by that, what I mean is providing an environment, creating an environment in which musicians and music industry actors can create a livelihood. There are many things that pull on that. There are many things that are that create a tension with that. One, there's the public and how the public can access, gain access to music, gain access to live performances, gain access to um, recorded music. And then also, you know, other issues around infrastructure that will support that as well as issues around financing and development of the industry as well. So I think this has been a real learning experience for musicians, even in terms of how they present their music. Um, and by that, what I mean is 
now that we have the dearth of live performances, everyone seems to think that jumping ship and using the digital model is a viable alternative, when in fact, I think for certain parts of the world, that's not the case. Sometimes that's because infrastructure is not as it's not as developed and doesn't necessarily support musicians to musicians and other cultural actors as well to make that transfer um, from live performance, studio work onto a digital platform. That's one of the challenges, but also in terms of how one performs, how one reaches one's audience. And I think for Africa in particular, how one makes a livelihood, how one makes a living continuing to produce music and and whatever other cultural activities that are, are their mainstay. Those are what I think are some of the absolute key challenges, as well as, very briefly, as well as understanding the importance of policy, music policy that actually supports a creative environment. Um, in Ghana, for example, and I'll just make this as a final point, in Ghana, for example, they have now um, introduced the new Creative Arts Bill. And with that, there is the Creative Arts Agency. But I think it's really about um, for, for Africa in general and for West Africa specifically, it really is about paying attention to create an environment that is sustainable and that supports creativity. And can I can I ask you to share a uh, a very concise vision of uh, what you think will be different, say, three to five years out? I'd like to think, uh, and again, looking at Ghana, I'd like to think that the investment in infrastructure that support music will continue to, to, to progress. It started things like affordability of tech, which again will impact on things like digital production, impact on things like streaming. Streaming is not necessarily that viable an option in West Africa, for example, certainly currently. So yes, I would like to think that the future will hold better infrastructure, uh, a greater understanding of what is needed to create a sustainable and viable music industry, as well as addressing a lot of the other barriers that exist for musicians. Those are the three key things I think need to happen in West Africa, in Ghana, Nigeria specifically. Thank you, thank you Michelle. Let's go to Hamburg. Uh, Lena Ingerson is a project manager at Music City Communities and joins us today from there. And so, you know, Lena, you know, tell us a bit about how the world looks from from where uh, you sit today. And then let's talk about your vision for where we're going and how we're going to get there. Yeah, thank you, Larry. And thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to meet you all here and exchange. I'm here on behalf of the Worldwide and Transnational Music Cities Network. It's based in Hamburg, um, but working transnationally. Um, it was initiated in 2016 as well by Sound Diplomacy. So, Michel, I think we have a lot of uh, things to talk about after this as well. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet um, you. As well as the Hamburg Music Business Association based in Hamburg as the lobbying body for the music companies. In the meantime, we are 10 members of the Music Cities Network, uh, Aarhus, Bergen, Berlin, Hamburg, Gothenburg, Groningen in the Netherlands, Manchester, Nantes in France, Reykjavik in Iceland and Sydney. So we are kind of a widespread, still quite Western European focus on 
the aim to exchange and improve the communication and collaboration and policies between music cities in the world. The idea is not new, but still, I think in the current state of the development of and the pandemic, um, we were very glad to have the network last year um, because the structure was there already. The aim of the network is to work holistically and understand music as infrastructure. Michelle, as you said as well, as part of city development, um, and that is what we're trying to implement in the work. We do that in different projects, we do that in different shaping of policies, but also in joint researches um, in collaboration with a lot of other partners. For me, or what I, my perspective on this is, you know, that is that we try to create good frames for music within the city, you know, and this is something if we would have had that good frames already, looking at our, my international partners, I'm speaking on behalf of it maybe would have not been so bad for them as it is now. So the club culture, the venue culture, all the music ecosystem is actually down. Here in Hamburg especially as well, everything is closed since November. Um, I'm not only allowed to meet one other person at this point. So it's it's crazy and it really goes down to the core. It definitely, what you said, Michelle, resonates with, with me a lot, you know, we need um, to think about more resilient structures for the music ecosystem. It's very fragmented and that we became very clear in the last month and in the last year. With the Music Cities Network, we try to see the whole city as a music city ecosystem and understand which stakeholders are working together and trying to bring this all together. It's hard work, but it's where we're standing now. Um, I think I'm, I'm hopeful in a way. Still, I know that music and culture will be the ones bringing us together, you know, and uh, bringing us the social creation and the joint joy we need to to continue working with that, what we're doing. Lena, how do you think things will have you know, shifted significantly over, over the next several years? What are, you, what, are you, what are you looking forward to? What do you believe is achievable and how are you going to get there? I'm an optimist generally, and I think what has shown uh, or what has become clear in the last year that for me personally, but also for the network, music and culture are still and will be the glue for our society. And music needs to be seen and acknowledged as integrated part of city development. I think this is one of our wishes and my wish personally as well. We need to work on policies and we need to work to support the bottom up initiatives and different small projects, but we can't forget get the policy side from top down. This needs to be tangled together. It needs to be a holistic approach. This is not something that has happened so um, intuitively and also like on the integrated part. Um, I think it's still very fragmented, especially as well in Europe with the perspective from me, my experience of 12 years in the music industry in Germany. We need to raise the awareness that culture and music are the most important links of our transnational societies, also looking at the current developments um, that are taking place in different areas of the world. Creativity and innovation will still be the driving forces, and I think we need to work yeah, to push that forward. Yeah, I think with the network and also my, um, my movement or my vibe, because I'm in this, is that we need to acknowledge the value of music on all levels. Um, and this is what I try to do or what we try to do with the Music Cities Network as well in connecting in conferences and spread the word and work together on this. Yeah, there's a lot of more I would be able to say, but I will stop here. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. And, and thanks for keeping it brief. I know you have much more to, to share with us. <laughs> Not so easy, uh, but yeah. <laughs>
let us shift from uh, the world of public policy, strictly speaking, uh, to the uh, commercial world and uh, shift over to Singapore. Meng Kwok is the owner of BandLab Technologies and is based there, although a frequent global traveler. He owns NME, Uncut, and a bunch of other assets. And, uh, and Meng, how are you viewing where we are now in mid-2021? Uh, you know, Larry, thanks for the introduction. And uh, just for a brief uh, overview of the things that we do within Banner Technologies, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Banner Technologies. And within the group, we we handle, you know, multiple things within the music space, everything from creation all the way to consumption. So really looking across music and different sectors of music, um, all the way from manufacturing, we own our own brands, guitar brands founded and based in the U.S., Harmony Guitars, Heritage Guitars. We manufacture these in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We distribute them around the world. We also own our own distributor out in Southeast Asia and retail stores and represent many different brands in the music space, more from creation side. On the media side, uh, as Larry mentioned, uh, NME Magazine, Guitar.com, MusicTech.net, uh, formerly owned Rolling Stone from 2016 to 2019. Um, you know, in the in the media space, again, you know, we're, we're very much focused in, in the world of music, everything from specialists in terms of music creation and, and players, all the way, again, to more consumer listening and pop culture. And at the center of it all, in you know, the flagship product of Banlab Technologies is Banlab.com, uh, Banlab, the platform. Easiest way to understand it is sort of Facebook for music, but with GarageBand and SoundCloud slash Bandcamp built in. Um, it's a place where people can make music. It's a place where people can share music. Um, and sort of where we sit today in 2021, I think I said this, you know, the first time I connected with some of you guys, you know, there's a strange sense of a little bit of survivor's guilt. Um, you know, when we think about how crazy the world has been and, and you know, the, the amount of people affected by what's going on. When we entered the situation last year, you know, there were areas we were very afraid of and, and you know, frankly worried about, especially the fact we have physical stores. We have stores where people have to go in and some of these places were shut down um, because of the pandemic in, in different countries. We operate stores in Singapore, Malaysia, LA, Indonesia, Vietnam, and, and all the different policies and, and systems in place cause all these different uh, stores to be shut at different times uh, and also logistics being affected in supply chain. But, but strangely on that side, you know, it, it, it we quickly realized that while everyone was panic buying toilet paper, they also were panic buying guitars. And I'm sure you guys have seen some, some really interesting and positive stories coming out of, of the New York Times and, and great publications like Rolling Stone and Billboard talking about the, the big growth in people picking up instruments during the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, we, we saw some really exciting trends there. On the media side, as you guys know, consumption of content was more important than ever. And we definitely saw, you know, the highest track band lab side, which is really, you know, where people are congregating in a virtual world. We were most excited. And, and today, you know, we, we went past all the, the, original predictions and had to reforecast everything in terms of growth numbers. We ended uh, the year where we're close to 33 million registered users around the world today and more than 10 million songs a month being made on BandLab, the platform. So, you know, it, it's quite incredible to see that kind of growth and people utilizing new technology in a platform to try and make music at a time where they really can't get into a room together. And I think, you know, some of the trends that we were seeing already that have driven some of the BandLab growth we're already happening, you know, with the attention economy, with everyone's uh, attention span being taken away by gaming, film, TV, Netflix, and all the different distractions that we have. You know, the idea of a previous generation's way of learning an instrument, like going to a guitar store and buying a guitar for your very first instrument, or 
meeting friends and getting into a garage and starting to make music together. These things don't really exist anymore, right? You know, instead of going to a music store to buy your first instrument, everyone has their very first instrument in their hands and it's a mobile phone. And, you know, no one gets together in person anymore. They're, they're connecting online first before they decide to make plans to get together in person. So it's a very different world. And so, you know, as we sit here in April, it's a very interesting time because we, we see a lot of positives. We see a lot of very interesting tailwinds that are coming through in terms of the wider independent music space. Um, but at the same time, you know, through our instrument brands and a lot of the things that we do, especially the professional industry, so many close friends, so many session musicians have really seen their businesses damage in, in a very, very, um, you know, disturbing and worrying way. And I think, you know, there are definitely some major challenges ahead, but, you know, there are positives to be taken from the fact that so many more people are engaging in music, but obviously, you know, some significant things have to be thought about and considered, especially as it relates to, you know, the people who have made the industry what it is today and that we can all benefit from and are on the, all on this call because. So COVID was, was an unexpected accelerant, at least for, or some, or or you know, many of the assets that you now own. What do you think we'll be looking at three to five years out? Well, I, I you know, I think I think there are some interesting positives, right? I think you know, a lot of of focus can be on the negatives, which is worrying about the existing state of the industry and what happens to it. I think some of the real positives that that we're particularly excited about is seeing the growth, for example, and the continued growth despite people and, and places starting to open up, um, you know, which makes us believe that as people reconnect in an offline environment, the fact that they've embraced new technology that they may not necessarily have done in the past or have, a, you know, put the effort into because of the fact that they didn't need to, you know, we, we see some, some exciting trends that actually that could spur more creativity because people now have new technology to support the offline relationships that they have as we start to get together in person. And then secondly, you know, I think with the amount of people who've actually picked up new instruments, there's no question that there could be a massive, massive growth in, in terms of new songwriting, in terms of new talent that's out there that, that never would have given it a chance because they were too busy with sports or some other passions or, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z that, that was keeping them busy throughout the day. So, you know, I think the positives that I like to look at is, you know, there could be some really amazing music coming out in three to five years and, and also the support for the leapfrog and technology, and especially as it comes to music creation, which is really what we're very much focused on. And as a result, you know, at, towards the end of that supply chain, we believe there will also be, you know, some real benefits for music consumption as well and, and people who benefit from that. Exciting. Thank you, Meng. Jim Griffin is my friend for longer than I care to admit. He is uh, today uh, Vice President of Digital Rights at PEX. Jim is many things. He is an organizer. He is a ringleader. He is a futurist. And uh, in his uh, not so distant past was president of Network Music Licensing at Warner Music Group. He has been an advisor for many years to those in public policy and has testified a number of times here in the U.S. federal copyright matters. When I first met him, Jim was the first head of digital at Geffen Records. That's such a kind introduction. and I'd happily co-conspire with you anytime. And I look forward to doing more of that. Look, right. I think there's three things worth commenting about, and I'll make them quick. The first one is that creativity is moving from the center of the network out towards its edge. There was a time when everything came out of Hollywood or something like Hollywood, New York, Los Angeles, London. Things were very centered. And licensing and registering works was easy because we did it right at the center of the network. 
you could even look, for example, at a cable system or an antenna emanating, and everything came from its center. But today, that creativity is moving out towards the network's edge. And that's a profound shift. Uh, I would say that it is alarming to some who take security from the center of the network. But look at Meg. His users are people who weren't traditionally a part of the music ecosystem. They were at its edge, not at its center. Perhaps they looked forward to being discovered, but not today. Because today they're doing perfectly well uh, with Meng and others feeding them the products and services that they need in order to be creative. And so that creativity moving from the network center to its edge is a fundamental change. The second one I'll point out uh, is really one that my friend Will Page has just written a book about called Tarzan Economics. Uh, clearly, we are in a shift from music to product, creativity to product, to music to service and creativity to service. And by the way, I'm not just talking about services here, not like, oh, Spotify is a music service, et cetera. I'm saying that music performs a service for many other industries, drawing a crowd, uh, making gaming more fun, making you stay in and have another drink. Uh, music, the service, is now in so many ways more important than music the product ever was. We did not find the value coming off the back of a truck from a warehouse. Increasingly, we find that value in the way that it moves your rear end or it grabs your eyes or it takes your senses away. And so that shift from product to service, Will calls it Tarzan economics, I think is profound and very, very important. I will say, thirdly, we have a challenge coming. The EU has issued a copyright directive that is being transposed in each of the member countries that challenges us to take control of the music where the owner wants it. And there are many of us who are skeptical about this, and yet it's a challenge that must be met. Uh, one of the reasons I'm at PEX is because PEX is fascinated with this transition to balance control and compensation in various ways. So I would say those are the three main trends, and I'll leave it at that. And so, Jim, to fast forward a, a few years out, as much as we mentioned when, when we were chatting with Mang a minute ago, you know, COVID has accelerated many things that were already in play. Where do you think we'll be in, say, five years? Look, I'll just put it like this. It's going to look a lot less like you and me and a lot more like my co-panelists. And that's a great thing. That is fantastic. I think that's the excitement that I feel for the future is that so many people from the edge of the network are coming in and really transforming this industry. And so it's going to look a lot more like my co-panelists and a lot less like me. And that's a really good thing. Okay, great. Thanks, Jim. That's a great thing. Um, I have I have one for Lena and Michelle, and that is a concern that I have heard expressed about the loss of permanent music infrastructure in music communities. Uh, how worried should we be, and what can we do about it? It's challenging, you know, definitely, and it will be up for a big, big transformation. It will not be the same, but as I said as well, I'm an optimist and I'm Although it has been very tough and it will still be very tough, you know, because questions are now, you know, even if cities are able to open again, you know, who is opening, who can be opening, who is going to go with what kind of feeling, which policies are there to be implemented that it's a long time and sustainable kind of support that still is going to be needed because 
venues can't just simply open, then everything is running again. So it, it will be challenging, and I just can point out and hope that everyone who's involved in policies and creating frames will understand that we need this because this is everything that a lot of people will be asking for and that we know of. And now it's kind of kicked with the feet most of the time. And I really hope that this is never going to happen again. But we will need to strike back hard. Michelle, what are your thoughts? Um, okay, again, I think some of the challenges in West Africa present a slightly different scenario. The music infrastructure, so we're talking about things like studios, etc. Those kinds of infrastructures, it's already challenging to have those things exist in the first place mm. and affordability. So in a lot of respects, we're kind of on the back foot in that respect. A lot of musicians in that region really rely on live performances. They don't necessarily rely on the sale of music because people don't necessarily have that disposable income to purchase music. We had this uh, very brief conversation before where we talked about, you know, the, the, the conflict between this notion of piracy and access to music. Well, in Africa, the piracy is actually what elevates musicians. It's how their music gets out there. Very few people, you know, do have. Um, you know, the tech in their houses to, or even the disposable income to purchase CDs, etc. And I remember we had a little laugh about, well, who buys CDs? Well, they still buy CDs in West Africa, albeit that they are burnt. So th that tension has always existed. I think the main loss will be these live venues, where, which musicians absolutely depend upon for an income, for livelihood. And that, if anything, is what policy needs to be addressing. How do we keep these venues open? Much more so than the things that we take for granted in the West, where actually even being able to make music in your own home, which relies on electricity and these kinds of things. You know, these are real challenges for musicians and producers. So... Oh, I mean, yes, these are the things that need to be addressed in terms of how do we retain and also create new infrastructures that will support the production of music. Thank you, Michelle. And uh, I imagine that the, uh, the answer to how we get there will lay within uh, music and business working together now as ever, and maybe more importantly than ever, uh, in order to ensure that we have uh, a robust music ecosystem in 2026 and beyond. Uh, panelists, thank you all for joining the audience. Uh, thank you for waking up early or staying up late. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. 
You have found one of our adventures now in the Merrimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.